When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Andy Kim is the multi-platinum singer and songwriter that you may have never heard of, but you know his songs. Rock Me Gently was a number one song in the U.S. in 1974, and his song Sugar Sugar will forever live in the pop culture mindshare thanks to versions recorded by the Archies, Bob Marley, and Tom Jones. While his recording of Baby I Love You is a cover song originally released by the Ronettes, the Andy Kim version is arguably the most well-known version, having reached gold record status in the top 10 in the U.S. in 1969. For Push Button Radio, the Shilohs recorded a faithful rendition of the Andy Kim version. The recording is sprightly and energetic, and I think really reflects the energy that Johnny of the band and Andy Kim brought to the conversation you're about to hear. Johnny brings such a wealth of music history knowledge and enthusiasm that he really proved to be the perfect foil against Andy's intoxicating energy. This conversation reached into the history books, touching on stories with John Lennon, Phil Spector, and Jeff Barry, and was thoroughly enjoyable to listen to in the moment. You can find Johnny Payne and the Shilohs anywhere you stream music, and Andy Kim continues to be a creative force in Canada, producing his annual Andy Kim Christmas in Toronto. So, please enjoy Johnny Payne and Andy Kim on the Push Button Radio podcast. Do I know you people? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, I don't know. Is this like Let's Talk to Strangers Friday? Is that it? Yeah, I guess. That's what they tell me. Okay. Well, I'm it's here. My name's Andy Kim. I hope you're uh, you're calling the right person. I, I yeah. believe you have. I think this is something that they're sort of organizing during the pandemic to make us all feel a little less lonely, you know? Hook up with a stranger. 
Well, you know, I'll tell you something. Um, maybe the pandemic has got some pluses. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, Andy, my name's Johnny Payne. Um, I'm a singer from Vancouver, and uh, it's an absolute honor to meet you here on the phone. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I've been I'm a just, fan of your uh, music for a long time. Well, you know what? I feel very lucky and very blessed to um, uh, to have been uh, able to kind of follow this crazy dream of mine, and then somehow or other, uh, the angels uh, decided to uh, give me the opportunity to live a, a blessed life. Certainly. Well, I mean, so what, what mean, do you? So, so what do you? What do? You, what kind of music do you do? Oh, you know, kind of like you, I guess. Uh, I, I, I'm a songwriter, and I, I, I kind of write just pop songs, you know, and uh, melody music, and harmonies, and and you know, tuneful arrangements, and things like that. Um, influenced heavily by the the music of the '60s and '70s, and you know, which I guess people kind of call a little bit retro now when they talk about my music, but I just like to think of it as good music, you know? Absolutely. Um, So tell me again, um, just because I want to write this down, because there's always a bunch of names coming at me. So who's your partner in crime today? Well, this is Joseph. This is my manager, Joseph uh, Martin, on the phone. Hey, how are, are you doing? Okay, and, and hey, man, uh, and you are again? Uh, my name is Johnny Payne, and I know it sounds like a fake name, but that's actually my real name. Hey, P- oh, P-A-Y- cool. P-A-Y-N-E. You know? Yeah, that's what I wrote down. That's what I figured. Yeah. But, but you know what? We'll see if we change the spelling in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think if I was Johnny P A I N, I would be more like a re- like a WWF wrestler or something, you know. Yeah, but you know, probably people would write about you more, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But not about you know, your music. They'll just be in, intoxicated with the name. Yes, go ahead. Well, nobody writes about music now, anyway, do they? You know, I have I'm no just... idea. You know, it's like everyone's <laughs> everyone's got an opinion about about, you know, what kind of music they like and what kind of things they want to hear and, and who they want to hear. And I just think it's, it's, it's great. You know, I, I think once, once one generation puts down another generation or your neighbor doesn't like your music because they like it, you know, another way, then, then you've got to build a fence. Totally. I hear you. You know, they put this together because um, a few years ago, you know, they got everybody on my uh, the, the record label I'm on to to do a cover recording of a song, like a classic Canadian hit, you know. Um, and my band chose Baby I Love You, the Andy Kim version. And uh, did you know that that's kind of what this was about? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, you know, to, to be honest with you, I really, I really, really like the version. And I, the, you know, there aren't too many people that will hold on to the come on, baby. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that kind yeah. of differentiates it all, you know? Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, otherwise, 
I mean, that's what sort of made it your signature version, I thought, as well. And I listened to it for the first time recently, too. I mean, if I'm being honest, had I known I was going to be talking to you, I might have spent a tiny bit more time on the on the record because um, because we kind of did that one sort of in this studio that was behind a, a bar in Vancouver. And we, we sort of went back there one night. It was kind of a wild night. And but maybe this is the right spirit for it, actually. And we just we recorded, did it a few times, the band. And then we got a bunch of people from the bar who were in there partying to come back and sing on the chorus, you know. And then the next day we, we mixed it and that was it. Um, and it turned out pretty cool, but you know, it's, it's, it, it, it doesn't quite have, uh, some of the accoutrements of your take, but that's all right. You know? Well, you know what? I mean, someone probably judged my version. Um, you know, I, I was thrilled that Phil Spector liked it. And so that he, he liked my version of be my baby, but, because you almost always feel a certain, um, at least for me, just a certain ability of 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 shyness to um, to kind of do your version of sure. a song that that was a hit, you know. So um, you know there will always be oh I remember the original oh I remember this I, so you know I come from a place that says music is music. You can like it, you can not like it, but what affects my life the most is that I'm able to make music. Yeah, I, I, I'm a hundred percent, you know, of the same philosophy. I think that I always think that music is music forever, you know, and you can overanalyze it all you want and compare it to this or that or the other. But to me, if it's tuneful, and if it's melodious to your ear when you're in the studio listening back, then you're doing something right, you know? That's what I, regardless of of what people think. Yeah, you know but, what's interesting is is when um when I recorded my version, um we started mm-hmm. out with with getting great musicians, people that played on a couple of my earlier hits. But but it it there was something that was missing. And, um, and that's something, um, I guess was the fact that it, it just, um, it was, it was me playing, um, in a way that I thought, um, that I heard it and yeah. I, 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 you know, I could never, you know, you can't, you can't replicate anything that's already been a hit or, or a semi hit. And for me, when I when I first saw the lead sheet, I didn't know that there was a previous version. Really? Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So we ended up, you know, just uh, me playing all the all the all the guitars, and and so you get one take, and and you double it, and triple it, and quadruple it, and and then you get this sound going, and then it just it was it was an exciting process. Um, and for me at the end, um, the, the na, 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 na became, I don't know. It was just something. It was not meant to degrade anything, but everybody seemed to kind of like the idea. And then you kind of hone it when you're doing the vocal, but, uh, it's so it it makes it a whole lot. It all works. Yeah. Yeah, it all works, you know, and it's like I'm not comparing your version to my version. This is your version. 
Sure. Yeah, no, sure. I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I listened to the one we did at the, I forgot that at the beginning we did the opening guitar part from Pagliaro's loving you ain't easy. <laughs> we sort of did a little cheeky bam, 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 just as a little cheeky homage because I liked that song and I completely forgot. And I wanted to ask you whether you knew him, uh, you know, or liked his music. Cause he was yeah, you, from, you know, yeah, go ahead. No, just cause he was also, uh, you know, uh, from Quebec. No. Yes, he is from Quebec. Um, I, I heard, Pagliaro for the longest time. I never met him till about maybe six, seven years ago. I called up to see if he was, you know, I, I do a Christmas show every year for your children's right. charities. And so I forget what year it was. And so I, you know, I called up and out of the clear blue and, and, um, found his phone number through someone that knew someone that knew someone that knew someone. And, so we chatted for a little while, and I asked him, hey, man, if you'd like to come by, it would be great, you know, and all of this stuff. So, um, you know, got him a flight, got him a hotel room, and I'm, um, uh, I'm introduced to him for the first time. He walks out of the cab, and he's from a, another time and place, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and he just was, like, so incredible and just walked on, used my band, was great. Everybody was rehearsed before he got there. And, um, and it's, it's like really cool. And, and he's done it a couple of times since. And, um, and you know, it, it's one thing to have a hit record or one thing to write a song that becomes a hit record. Mm -hmm. And then, and then to me, the important thing is who are you? Just because you have a number one or hit record, are you like one of those, you know, people that uh, the music, your success is kind of like thrown at you in your face or just like, hey, man, I'm just a lucky time. And yeah. that's who he is, man. He really, really is very, I hate to use the word humble because, you know, none of us are really kind of. I don't see us as humble, but we're kind of quiet about the fact that we know that there are thousands of people with guitars and drums and bass and songwriters and all of that stuff. But just a lucky few get, get to be played around the world. And, and so I never, I never take it for granted. Yeah, and that you guys kind of came up in such a remarkable time for all of it, you know? I, I often think about it was just such a renaissance of in in music, you know, at that time, and it must have just been special to be a part of. I mean, I'm looking at now, thinking about Jeff Barry, uh, who you worked with on a lot of this stuff, and just earlier today, I was looking, I went and looked at all the songs that he'd written with, oh my God. you know, Ellie Greenwich and and Spectre and yourself. And I'm going down the list and I was just, you know, I almost had a heart attack. Just, I was just, when the boy's happy, the girl's happy too. The do run, run, not too young to get married. Then he kissed me, be my baby. I have a boyfriend, hanky panky, do what did he, chapel of love. I was just like, couldn't believe, because to me, that's the can't, that's the, you know, and of course, sugar, sugar, and how do we ever get this way? And all of those are all in there too for me. But this is like the canon 
of music, in my opinion, that, that, you know, is the most fun and the most influential. And I wanted to know what you thought about just how one at that time, you know, knowing him and yourself could be so prolific and, and what you sort of attribute that to besides the obvious talent, you know? Well, you know, to be honest, when, when I look back at, at, you know, meeting Jeff, cause I really was such a, um, a, a fan of those songs growing up. And mm-hmm. I was lucky enough that my two older brothers had those magazines and, and they would have the name of the songwriters and the, publishers and producers. It was always a history on those songs. Mm-hmm. And um, I was lucky enough that I walked in blindly and he accepted to see me for five minutes. And then as he was saying, well, yeah, that's a pretty good song. Why don't you finish it and, and come back? And uh, cause I'm late for a session and, and my I think my most courageous line in, in, in the, in the world for myself was, can I come with you? I've never been in a studio before. Nice. And that started, that started the relationship, um, uh, that has lasted all these years and we're still best friends and we get together and, and, but he, he came from this, this like magic land. And I was in mm-hmm. over my head and, and I would come in. I, I was like, as soon as I started to know that I could work with him, I would send him stuff from Montreal. I was like a machine yeah. just sending him stuff, you know? So, um, you, I learned so much. I learned so much from the Brill building and, and Ellie and Jeff and Lieber and Stoller and that whole, that, that, I guess that atmosphere and, and the interesting thing is that I, w- I was not cognizant of the fact that I became his writing partner. I mean, he was with Ellie and he's with, been with a lot of people, but then there was a consistent time when I was his writing partner and did I yeah. deserve to be there? I never thought I did. <laughs> I was just happy to be there. Yeah. But, but you learn uh, when you're around the right people. Mm-hmm. You learn mm-hmm. to be able to to listen to their decisions on 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 what they what they think what they like and what they don't like. Because I was all over the place, and then after a while, I got to know. Okay, so that's the theory behind where his songwriting or Ellie's comes from or, or what Phil would think about or Jerry and Mike, those, those things like finally after a while they get to you. And, um, so it's, it's yeah. kind of been a hell of a ride. It really has been. For sure. I mean, <laughs> an interesting thing, like I'm just, you might think this is funny, but, I've read quite a few of these sort of rock and roll autobiographies. I don't know if you've written one, actually, but if you have, I'd like to read it. But um, and there seems to be a running theme as I read them, because, you know, us sort of younger guys and and gals listen to a lot of music and we think, wow, how did they churn out so much music? We must not be working hard enough. 
because these songs and these albums that are that were churned out at, at that era were so amazing. And then there's this running theme in a lot of the books that I've read, like Tommy James, Todd Rundgren, that they just say, oh, you know, we never slept because we were on speed all the time. And it would just be, I would be up all night in the studio and then I'd wake up and write all day and <laughs> not like attributing it to drugs. But do you think that there's something to the, the naivete of youth at that time and that people sort of didn't know about the harms of, you know, not sleeping and just sort of devoting every waking minute to writing and that that's maybe where a lot of that came from in the 60s? Um, well, you know, I can only speak for myself, you know. Right. I mean, I was lucky enough to be around Jeff and Ellie who did no drugs. Right. Actually, that wasn't, you know, Lieber and Stoller, if you look at their history, that tops Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Barry. You know, Hound yeah. Dog, um, on out. Um, really were intoxicated by the music. Right. And and so... Um, Hard I work then. Kind of, yeah. Well, you know what? You're having fun. Yeah. You're having fun. You're not trying to to um, replicate anyone that's out there. You're just... I mean, I would... I would get in every day or sometimes I'd be, uh, you know, um, asleep in the office. And when, you know, Jeff would come in and um, I'd be, I'd, it, it was always like, okay, so what do you got today? And mm-hmm. I'd say, well, I got this or I got this. And, and then it would be, okay, well, let's work on that and let's do this. And so. Um, That's cool. I, I think. I think youth has a lot to a lot of energy and and a lot of excitement and and someone you know who is as famous as Jeff and Ellie when when I first met them uh were able to nurture me mm-hmm. and um so from from that you know we swing to 2021 and here you are doing ba- it be my baby which is like really sure. really cool sure I mean, I, I, I just think that those songs, for some reason, I mean, it could just be my taste, but for some reason, I still hear those songs and those recordings, and I don't really think that they've been touched, a lot of them, you know, um, yeah. with it, it advancements in technology and studios and anything. I mean, I was watching a movie from the 80s yesterday, and Then He Kissed Me came on through my crappy TV speakers. It just sounded incredible, you know? And, and, um, I was thinking about how, how do we ever get this way? Your record and listening to it last night. And it's so funky. And I was wondering who the band was on that. And, and cause it, I was listening to the bass playing and everything. It's just such a groovy song, you know? Um, uh, well, I'm, a, I'm on acoustic guitar for most of those songs and, yeah. um, uh, we had Buddy Salzman on drums we, you know, you, you've heard of the Wrecking Crew? Of course. Yeah. Well, but the Wrecking Crew is L.A.-based. There was a Wrecking Crew that, that, that was New York-based, but I didn't know that they were called anything. They were just, just phenomenal, phenomenal musicians who would show up, and they would listen to you play and sing the song. And, yeah. and they would be inspired by something. And then, you know, Chuck Rainey on guitar, man, he eventually uh, 
he's gone now, God rest his soul, but eventually toured with Lennon. But so you had all these phenomenal, phenomenal musicians. Nice. Um, listening to a song, and they had a certain sensibility about them. Um, the, the choices of musicians at that time was you know, obviously not up to me. It was up to was up to Jeff when we were making the record. But then you you get to understand that um, there are certain musicians that you want to have on your session every time. Yeah, and there are other people that are so gifted at that one thing. What maybe it's a ballad, maybe it's a it's a it's a different kind of sound. Um, but all of that was kind of it's just a feeling that you get around people, and um, mm-hmm. so you know, for me, I've always felt you know very very lucky to be kind of a sponge. You know, I would would listen to them and and understand why they're making those decisions and all of that. And really, it it was such a learning experience besides being an inspired experience, you know? Yeah, Um, and it's it's cool because we listen. A lot of people I know, you know, like you were saying about here we are so many years later. And, you know, I still listen to those records and try to try to figure out what's going on in the recording process and the mixing process. And uh, who knows, a lot of the stuff could have just been accidental or anything, but we sort of try to find a little bit of that magic and mix it into modern recording still, you know? So it's cool. Yeah. Um, you know, there was, there was what, eight tracks at the time. I mean, before yeah. that, I'm sure it was four track and what, what was it with the Beatles, uh, you know, stereo, two tracks. I, I, you know, it's, it's all of the, it's, it's, uh, let me put it to you this way in mm-hmm. my life, too many options is not a healthy thing. Right. So if you have eight tracks and you can bounce some tracks back and forth, that's cool. If you have then 16 tracks, that's kind of cool too. Then you have 24 and then you can sync up two machines and have 48. And before you know it, you have a thousand options. Yeah. And if you have a thousand options, you're not going to be diligent. The less no. options you have, the more creative you become. That's, that's totally. my I mean, opinion. Yeah, me too. When I'm in the studio and doing vocals, you know, oftentimes the engineers will, will just say, I'll oh, keep doing it. And then, We'll give you all the all the takes, you know what I mean? And you can you could you could pick from twenty five, thirty takes of your vocal part and I just say, just delete them until I get it, you know, because I don't wanna yeah. have to comb comb through that later and I'd rather have one or two to choose from, you know. So I, I sort of try to try to employ that kind of tape machine mentality, even when you're recording digital and you can have a million tracks, you know. It's I know what you mean. It's better to just get something that feels organic. I always found than to, I mean, to me, perfection is kind of not what making records is all about. And a lot of people now will just spend so much time editing and comping until it doesn't even sound human what you're recording, you know? Yeah. So I find that a little strange, but. Yeah, it's look, um, everyone is inspired to do what they need to do. You know, it's totally, like, totally. um, I, I think, I, I think if you go into it thinking, I gotta get a hit, you're never going to get a hit. Yeah. It's just, 
if, if you go into it saying, okay, this is, oh, I love this. I love this. And someone else plays something. Oh, I love that. Or someone's playing something and say, you know what? Ah. And so it becomes, it becomes important to be able to listen to your instincts, listen to your body, listen to say, you know, I, it's a great part, but I'm, I'm not feeling it. I'm not yeah. understanding this. I think that that's one of the key things, you know, because in the end, in the end, anybody can play anything. Anybody mm-hmm. can sing anything. And, um, you know, I remember um, I, did a, I did an album a few years ago with Kevin Drew, A Broken Social Scene. That's right. And, yeah. and um, there, was, there was a line where I just, I got there and I was always a hair sharp. A hair, yeah. Half an hour later, I turned to the, to the engineer and I said, hey man, can you just like drag it down? He says, we don't have auto-tuning here. Purposely. Yeah. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm, I'm back to where, where it was. You know, you do one take and you hopefully you get it. And if not, you got to do it. You got to. And I think the more you perform it, the more you earn it and the more you feel it. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, then just call it a day because then it's going to be, uh, you know. It's going to be like a line, uh, let's say, well, what take was that? That was take 17, man. I love the way you said the word hello. Well, give me a break. Yeah, I know. I know. And you hear, you hear, all, uh, you know, about, I think people used to do a lot more takes, you know, uh, <laughs> like nowadays, you know, I, I generally most sessions I've been in, you know, you do four or five or six and then kind of comp it together. But I think there's something to be said for, you know, I've read about people doing, you know, 50 to 100 takes in the 60s and 70s. Till they get, and then maybe it's a lot of work and you're frustrated. But I tell you, the band would be sounding hot at the end of that. You know, you, no wonder these people like you talk about the Wrecking Crew were such great musicians because they would just be playing all the time. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, you know what? If you have a week of shows. You've mm-hmm. got to know deep down inside, if you start on Monday, that by Saturday, you're going to be killing it. Yeah. yeah. Because the idea is, is, is so strong that, that you're feeling it. You're not thinking. You know, on Monday, yeah. you're thinking, oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, how many people are here? And oh, yeah, I got to. Once you start thinking, well, look, I shouldn't say you. I, once I start thinking, I'm lost. Oh, it's no, got to be like yeah. all free form, let your subconscious take over. But it takes a few times to do it in order for, you know, your subconscious to kind of take over from the conscious place. Definitely. Ah, live shows. What a thing, huh, Andy? That was a lot of fun. Yeah, but you know what? I think, I think you know, look, I think everyone's suffering from those things, but yeah. Um, but won't it be great when it's back? Oh yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm look, as you can tell, I'm, I'm kind of the eternal, uh, that it's, it's such a great day, even though it's raining and the roof is leaking. Very um, refreshing to hear. Actually, <laughs> Your optim- your optimism is really cheering me up. I love it. Yeah. What choice do you have? 
Yeah. What choice do you have? You know, I mean, you know, uh, when, you know, when people ask me, so why did you write sugar, sugar? I have no, there's no answer to that. It just came. It just happened. And eventually, you know, Jeff and I, in, in about 10 minutes, we were done. Uh-huh. But, but to make the record and then to have nobody want to play it, you know, case in point, someone sent me a, a test um, a while ago that said, May 24th, 1969, Baby I Love You hit the Billboard charts for the first time. May 24th, 1969, same day, Sugar Sugar came out, but didn't get on the charts to mid-July because nobody right. wanted to play it. You know, it wow. was a year of Woodstock. It was, everybody was into underground music, which became FM radio. And then FM radio really became an AM playlist, and now AM is talk show. I Look, you live yeah. a long time and you see the puzzle come together and the big puzzle says, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how we fix it. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Just, I know what you mean. Like, yeah, just do, just, just do like you say, what you feel, right? What comes yeah. out. Sugar, sugar is a great track. I mean, I always think that's a funny question. People have asked me stuff like that too. Why do you, why did you write that or something? Yeah, I would, that's such a strange question. I don't know, you know? Yeah, and it's hard to say, I mean, you know, for me at the beginning, it, it would be, um, I, it was like I, I needed to, how do we ever get this way? Well, you know, it's about this girl and, and, and I, I'm friggin' lie through it just to make sense of why something happened. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then I'm I'm in a Chicago hotel room with the guitar on my hand, going over my set list for the night, and the TV's on, and Paul McCartney shows up, and there's no there's no remote, and I had it on, you know, the volume off, so I turned it on, and some guy was interviewing McCartney, and and mm-hmm. you'll love this, Johnny. The, he yeah. was asked the last question before he, he, they signed off. The, the interviewer said, so, Paul, tell me, how do you and John write your songs? And his answer was, without even swallowing or skipping a beat, he said, I don't know. It's magic. Uh-huh. And I thought to myself, thank you. Now I can use that. I can say, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why I came up with this. Whether it's a guitar lick or whether it's a vocal uh, turnaround or whether it's it's something that that you don't know, so I stopped thinking about it. I I I I know, and I have you know family and and friends, younger people who I knew know who are musicians who kind of ask me, you know, can you just tell me what the secret is to songwriting? Because I want to do that. You know, and I say, man, right. if I knew if I knew that, I'd have a lot more money than I do right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, of course. Like, because it's just like if I if there was just some sort of formula, I don't know. You sit at the piano, and it's like how the Greek the Greeks used to have this theory that creativity was not a human thing; that it was something that spoke through you from somewhere else, right? And Quincy Jones talks about all that kind of stuff too. You hear, you know that uh, you just have to be a vessel for it, right? 
So I'd always you have to be, yeah, you have to be open. You have to be an open vessel. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a perfect, it's a perfect way of saying it. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a, for me, it's like, I'm, you know, I, I'm, um, I'm one of those, you know, I got two weeks because someone wanted a song again, you know, just, you got two weeks. So I think about it, but I don't do anything till the mm-hmm. night before. Yeah. Because it's, it's already <laughs> written. It's already written. So yeah. you just, you just, it just, it comes out and then you find a way to massage it, to make it, to make it be you. Um, you know, some other people will have other ideas. I think it all works. Yeah. I, it, you know, I'm, I've never been one of those who put down someone's ability to do anything. No. You know, it's, I, I, I heard it enough when Sugar Sugar came out that it was a bubblegum song. It really meant nothing and all of this and ended up selling gazillions around the world and number yeah. one and record of the year. But the only respect I got was when Wilson Pickett recorded it. Right. And then uh, and then Tina Turner recorded it. And then Bob Marley recorded it. And then I became a songwriter in their eyes. Oh, wow, I never heard the Bob Marley version. That's oh, awesome. you're going to love it. You're going to love yeah. it. You know what's funny, though, is all that. I know it's so stupid, all that, like, bubblegum stuff, because, it, you know, it's just good music, pop music. But it's funny that now there, that's definitely whatever you call that certain sound of pop music that was happening at that time. I, I don't know who you would consider contemporaries of that kind of music uh, in the in the late 60s, maybe Tommy James and the Shondells and certain groups like that. But that music, that genre with a lot of people I know is like really, really like maybe if if critics or whoever didn't say it was hip then because of the Woodstock or whatever was going on, it's definitely come around. And the way those records that you guys were making sound have are now revered in the exact same way in a lot of the circles that I know, you know. So it's it just goes to show that like you know whatever, stick to your guns and make what you want to make, right? Yeah, so 50 years from now, Johnny, uh, you'll be on the phone with somebody who's saying, Johnny, Johnny, how do you do this? My God, you know? And yeah, I, ho- I hope so. Well, I, you know, look, you can take your time to get 50 years from now, because no matter yeah. how fast you go, it's just going to be as long as it takes. But the yeah, important definitely. thing is, like, are you having a good time? Oh, you know? definitely. Are you... I think that that's one of the key things, whether you have no idea what you're doing, but are you having a good time? And yeah. So, you know, sorry. No, I was just wanted to tell you that, you know, you might find this interesting that, you know, I'm in my thirties now, but when I was, when I was in my early twenties, I set impossible goals for myself. And I told myself I had to be as big as the Beatles by the time I was 25 or something like that. You know, you do this, you're a kid and you've got a big head. Yeah. And you're writing songs. And I told myself all this stuff basically to set myself up for failure, you know, because who's going to be as big as John Lennon ever, really, you know, or whatever it is. And then at one point when I was about 27, 28, I told myself I didn't care about all that anymore. And I just wanted to write songs for the sake of making the music that I thought was good and groovy. 
and I was just going to approach it from that and not think about success at all. And I really, truly believe that that's when I started making music that I actually really liked, you know? So it is, there's no rhyme or reason, like you say, but that kind of worked for me to just kind of stop comparing yourself to others and all that, you know? Well, I didn't know much, so I couldn't compare myself to anybody, but all I can, I was happy to be around people that knew stuff yeah. and were doing stuff. So, you know, when, when you're in a room with, with Jeff or Ellie or Phil Spector, there is like, how, I mean, how did you God, get into this yeah. room? You know, that's, that to me is, is the, the, the bigger point. And the bigger point is that you're, you're honest in your work. You're honest in your integrity. You're doing what you love to do. Um, yeah. And, you know, I never really wanted to be anybody else except me. But yeah. I didn't know how to get to me. But I finally got there. Um, yeah, I guess that's sort of what I'm saying, too. Yeah, exactly. You know, I got I got there, too, in a roundabout way. You know, <laughs> it's OK. Yeah. It, does, it's, 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 it doesn't matter how long it takes. It just yeah. matters that you got there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Def- Did and, you ever uh, meet the Beatles? I, I met, um, there's, there's a photo somewhere of, um, that someone sent me of, of Ringo Starr and I sitting next to each other and it was a profile shot and we're laughing and someone says, uh, you know, Andy Kim and Ringo Starr at the, uh, first Bruce Springsteen concert in LA. So, so there's that I'm, you know, I, I don't yeah. know if, if if that was a monumental moment for Ringo, but it was for me. <laughs> you, yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, and then John Lennon gave me my gold record for Rock Me Gently. So, oh, um, cool. So that was cool. And then I got to, uh, you know, hear him on KHA Radio in Los Angeles uh, do the rundown. Because, you know what, here's John Lennon, who didn't walk around... Um, telling you he was John Lennon. He just walked around being himself. That's the key thing, you know? Yeah. So when he was recording in, in uh, L.A. with Fit A&M, uh, I got to be there and hang out, but not that I could... I was a peer. I just, I just sat on a couch in the back just wanting to be part of all of the things that were going on. And... And the fact that it was okay for me to be there, I always thought, man, that's, that's a pretty cool thing, you know? Definitely. Do you have a favorite so, song of all time, Andy? Yeah, Blowing in the Wind. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow, nice. You want to know mine? Uh, yes. My Girl. Oh, my God. I love that song, too. Yeah, I love that song from um, a um, an emotional place. I love blowing in the wind from a spiritual place because the truth is, how do you make a hit record? I don't know. It's blowing in the wind. How do we get? <laughs> yeah. How do we get over this this divisive society we live in? I don't know. It's blowing in the wind because the truth yeah. is, uh, it's people, and the more people have access to other people's lives. They're really kind of wasting their time looking at Mm -hmm. your neighbor as opposed to doing what you should be doing, which is looking at your life. Yeah. 
But that's another story for another time, you know? I, I wish you well, man. I'm so happy you, uh, we had this time together. Uh, thank you. Yeah, me too, Andy. And, and thanks. It was very nice to meet you. And maybe I'll, you know, I'd love to come out one day and play your Christmas show. I love making Christmas records. And maybe one day I'll get out there. Um, well, we'll, we'll talk about it sometime, you know, it's just, I know, it's, I know. it's always a, um, it's always, a, the roll of the dice. I'm, I'm, let me put it this way. It happens in December. It takes me to the first week in November to even know if anyone's going to say yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. But I, I, you know? I think it's, I think it's very cool that you do that. Yeah. Well, I just, I'm just being me, you know, it's like, uh, it's what I did when I first had hit records. I, I'd get to a city sometimes a day early and you go to orphanages and hospitals and bring your guitar. It just, it just, it's a, it's a cool thing to share your life with, um, with people whose moments may be very short and whose uh, lives have been disrupted by something, you know? And so, um, definitely, you know, so, definitely. um, anyway, you know well, what? Thanks. I, I thank you for your time and tell Joseph to stop interrupting. I didn't even know he was still, I didn't even know you were still on the phone. I was, I'm just like, I don't need to do anything. This was great. If you guys are ready for another take though, I'll hit record. Oh yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Andy, um, you know what? Last thing I'll say is I want you to know that every single time I have a dance party went, you know, pre pandemic, I put on my original copy of how do we ever get this way and always gets the party started still to this well, day. So thanks for that. Well, thank you so much. Two chords, huh? That's right. <laughs> and the truth. Yeah, two chords and the truth. Two chords and a lot of balls, basically, you know, but that's right, baby. All right. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Oh, and I and I okay. appreciate it too. Thank you. Okay. Bye now. Bye, Joseph. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.